Well, it's really, really good to see you in God's house this morning. I feel like we should just leave now. It's been such a blessing so far to be together, and I'm just going to ruin it. Um, but uh, my hope is to not. My hope is that today we would be able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. My hope is that uh, you'll be a part of that celebration. I'm, I'm hoping that some of you would even be so bold as to share a testimony, because as much as I could... And this is sometimes my goal on Easter is to walk out some great reasonable arguments for why the tomb is empty. When if the tomb is empty, if he is still alive, he's still working. He's still moving. Some of you know the old hymn, you ask me how how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I I know he's alive because I see him alive now. You know, as much as you look in, in the country of Israel right now in Jerusalem, They've got where they think maybe the empty tomb is, but we know that the tomb is empty because he is risen. He is alive. He's still changing lives. And so I'm hoping that some of you would even stand up and share a little bit about that. But I want to read with you or to you from John chapter 19, starting at verse 40. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish uh, Passover, and since the tomb was close, they laid Jesus there. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple ran out Peter. And John, the writer of this gospel, is that guy. He's kind of modest about winning this race. But he outruns Peter, reaches the tomb first. He stopped and looked in, saw the linen and the, the wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him. I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to my father. Go get my brothers, tell them I'm ascending to my father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Without the resurrection, 
Jesus' teachings just kind of go like on the bookshelf with Socrates or Plato or Dr. Phil, probably, in a few hundred years, right? The problem isn't that we need just good teaching. The problem isn't that we just need a better way of looking at life. The problem is you're dead without a savior. None of us gets out of here alive. And the way that we live now, if left to our own devices, my father-in-law used to like to say, we're bent on destroying ourselves. That's, that's our direction and our selfishness, that curved inwardness on, it, on itself. We're just on that path to self-destruction. And so we don't need a shift from being bad to being good. We need a shift from death to life. Well, we need it, but can Jesus offer it? The most important question isn't whether we, thought Je- we think Jesus taught well. The question is, did he rise from the dead or not? C.S. Lewis, who was once an atheist, and not just like an atheist who just kind of had like a bad mood about like, well, these Christians are kind of grumpy, but like a studied atheist, then went a little bit deeper at the claims of Jesus, like, like others after him, like Lee Strobel and other people who have investigated the claims of Jesus, like Uh, Was it Jack McDowell or Josh McDowell? Jack McDowell was a baseball pitcher. Josh McDowell, you should buy his books. I don't know about Jack McDowell, old pitcher for the White Sox. These guys look at the claims of Jesus. And not everybody does this, but they go. And C.S. Lewis comes up with three approaches we can have to Jesus. He's either lunatic, a liar, or he's the Lord. I mean, he's mad, or he's bad, or he's God. He says in his books, Mere Christianity, which if you're not a believer and you want to investigate these things and you don't want to just give in to the mood of the culture around that says, well, there's probably not a God, but really want to look. Look at the book, Mere Christianity, and where it starts. I'm reading that book again, maybe for the third time. It's amazing what you forget after reading a book every 10 years, right? Like, you're like, oh, I totally forgot everything about this book. But in it, he says, you can shut him up, Jesus, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So is he a liar, is he a lunatic, or is he the Lord? Somebody has added recently that, you know what, maybe he's just a legend, though. Starts with an L, goes in that, like, okay, but we've probably built him up into something that he was not. Well, how else do you explain how dispirited, denying, deserting bunch of disciples transform into the dynamic witnesses for Christ, willing to give up their lives for the faith of the Lord? I mean, how else do you explain that? Professor Charlie Moule, the famous New Testament Testament theologian, once said, the birth and rapid rise of the Christian church remains an unsolved enigma for any historian who refuses to take seriously the one and only possible explanation to be offered, the resurrection. And so to fix this, my goal is not to say, you know what we need to do is we need to open up our history books. 
I think we would find something there. We would find a testimony of a church that was transformed by a message that was real, that had active, living miracles just just happening as God would pour out his spirit, as, as his people would live on the edge, not live in their comfort zone, but live where God had called them to live. And so we could open up the history books and look at the hospitals that were founded by Christians, the schools that were founded by Christians, some of the racial reconciliation that has happened because of believers, uh, the, the issues such as, as women's rights, all of those things. We could say, look where the church has been a force for good. But the problem is the church in 21st century America has brought back the option that it's just a legend. Because what are we doing? What is Sue Wesleyan Church doing to show that he has risen? Where is the evidence here? Some people, well, if I could go to Jerusalem in, in a DeLorean, right, and look back and see that this happened... We don't have 1.21 gigawatts, but we have you. He's alive. And, he, and if there's not testimonies here this morning, then let's just shut the doors and leave. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 10, God says to his people who are getting divorced, who are bringing like lousy worship, who are not giving their tithes to God, he says, you know, I just kind of wish somebody would shut the door to the temple so you'd no longer kindle useless fires on my altar. I take no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will accept no offerings from your hands. What if God has been pruning the church? What if as much as we think, God, we hope that you will grow the church numerically? What if he's pruning it and removing those who merely attend but do not believe? Now, I know the way that we do church now. We, we invite everybody, and we're glad that you're here if you're curious and you're looking in. But what if? What if we would really take him at his word and say, you know what, if we're not going to die to our passions and desires, maybe I should get out. I mean, if I have been calling myself a Christian for 10 years, but I haven't given up any of my passions and desires, if I have not even done anything besides say a few less swear words, or go to a building once a week, or throw a 20 in the box, maybe it's time to, to evaluate whether you believe it or not. Jesus said in John chapter 12, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. He's speaking ahead to the, his death, his resurrection. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But it's death. He's just talking about planting seeds here, right? Some of you are already starting your garden. This is not rocket science from Jesus. He never goes there. He just says, it's death. The death of a seed will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it.
for eternity. This is reverse of what we think, but this is actually right side up. Sometimes we say Jesus turns things upside down. No, he turns things right side up. Things are upside down right now. He says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. And if you care nothing for your life in this world, you'll keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. My Father will honor anyone who serves me. You know, Mary is so upset at the tomb of Jesus. She's went and she's got the good news out to these guys. The tomb is empty. She doesn't know what to do with that yet. And then they run back, as John records. Let's, let's just see, um, let's just note for a second how Jesus uses women to tell of the resurrection. What a feminist. And Mary goes and gets John and Peter, and they come back, and John sees and believes. I'm not sure Peter's got it settled yet. He's got, he's got this whole denial thing that's happened. He's going to get restored by Jesus. And they take off, and Mary's just kind of despondently hanging around, and who shows up? Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him, and he doesn't. He does this. Jesus is tricky after the resurrection. If he's not tricky before, he's tricky after. He's sneaky. He shows up with some guys on this road to Emmaus. I think it's in Luke. You can read about that. They don't know who he is right away, right? He's explaining stuff, and they're like, wow. The hearts are burning within us. Jesus shows up later in John here. The disciples, doors locked, fear of the Jews. They're going to come in and go, where's his body, right? So they lock the doors. Jesus just walks in. Who let him in, right? He's sneaky. And he doesn't let her, she, she's either blinded by her tears. There's something about his, something about him that's not letting her see. But her expectation is, but it's a gardener, right? Like this is a garden, as we read. This is like there's a garden nearby where the crucifixion happened. And that's where they find this new, un, uh, you know, unused tomb. Jesus just needed to, needed to rent it for three days. And she sees him and thinks he's the gardener. I don't see there that she's wrong. It doesn't say she was confused that he was the gardener. But he's the gardener. What if, what if there's something about this gardening thing? If you haven't read your Bible very much, it's right at the start. God made a garden in Eden. If you, if you haven't read at the end of the book, it says there's a tree of life in heaven. There's, there's another garden we're heading towards. The, the, the fruit of that tree is there. The leaves are there for the healing of the nations as we look ahead in Revelation. What if Jesus is still gardening? And the question is, are we willing to give up our life to be like that kernel of wheat that's planted in the ground and dies so that there can be new life? 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be reading 1 Corinthians in the weeks to come. Warning. Those pages of your Bible are about to get a little bit worn. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, like, if, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, we're to be pitied above all men. We're to be pitied above all men. But he says in verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. There is an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest. And all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Friends, one of the greatest causes of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but deny him with their lives. Is anybody here willing to stand up this morning and say, you know the tomb is empty? And why? This is where it gets awkward, if not, as I got nothing else in my notes. At this point in our worship gathering, people shared some testimonies, some of personal physical healing, others of some members of their family coming to salvation, and even some marriages that had been saved through the power of Jesus, lung cancer that had cleared up without explanation. Praise God. Well, we believe he is risen. And the, you know, in the prayer that he taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. We need rescued, and he came to rescue. And, and there's nothing, you know, he, he was a suffering servant. In, in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So, you know, it was very simple for, for those who were dying in the wilderness, they're being bitten by snakes. Just look, just look. Just looking. I mean, it takes some belief to, to turn your head and to look. And so we want to turn our eyes on the Lord this morning. So I want to spend some time in prayer and then I'm going to leave this place rejoicing because our Savior does turn graves into gardens. I think about this last year, we buried my, my grandfather out at, I think it's called Oak Lawn Chapel Gardens. Because for those who believe in Jesus, there's, there's this body that is planted like a seed. Read more about this in 1 Corinthians 15. This, this seed that is perishable, but is, is raised imperishable. I'm thankful to a God who turns graves into gardens. Let's pray. Lord, for some, the longest 20 feet in the world is between their seat and the corner where somebody would pray with them. I pray that some people would make that walk soon. Father, we, 
We've gathered today not to put on an Easter pageant of emotion. We've gathered in some ways to confess that we have acknowledged you but continued to do our own way. And we don't want to acknowledge you in all of our paths, in all of our ways. But Father, that's just not right. How could we not give it all? How could we not be like the master? If we're, if you're, if we're your children, if we're, we're, we're in your, the service of your kingdom and the king died on a cross, the king was spat upon and misunderstood and considered to be weak. Father, why are we running from those things? So help us to not run from mourning, from tears, Help us to not run from brokenness. Father, help us to run to be peacemakers. Not just peacekeepers. God, sometimes we're so, we're so obsessed with, we want things to get back to normal, to normal. Father, we want real peace. The old normal was dumb. Father, would your church be transformed? The old normal of church was sleeping. Help us to wake up. We know that we can entrust our crucified selves to you because you rose from the dead. So, Father, help us to quit talking about self-improvement and think about being planted Dying to self and trusting the one who specializes in resurrection. Who calls things that aren't into existence. You speak and stuff shows up. So Father, we pray that you would speak over us. In this quiet now and as we sing, Father... Would we find in giving up our lives, we find true life. In delighting ourselves in the Lord, we have all the desires of our heart fulfilled. In, in following Jesus to death, to burial, to death to ourselves, we find that his teachings, they make sense. They're simple. So would you stand and raise your hands and we'll pray our Father. And then we'll sing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
Amen.